Welcome to the Cap City Church podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday message. We pray that you're encouraged and challenged as you listen to it. Enjoy. Well, it's good to see you all this morning. It's very easy at this time of year to find yourself in church and know hardly anybody, if, if at all, here, you know. Or you find yourself in a situation where um, the only people you have there are visitors. So if you've been doing a series, it can be a little bit daunting, you know. You have to think of something a little bit different uh, when, they, when they come. But it's good to see you this morning. You know, it's, um, I'd spent some time preparing this message in the week. In fact, I'd had it um, from Luke a few weeks ago. We debated who was speaking on which part of the story of David and Goliath that we'd speak on. And I said, please let me speak on this bit. And uh, I love this story. It takes me back to when I was a kid. But as an adult, I've learned so much more about it and the implications on our own lives. And most folk who have been to church at some point in their lives know this story. And many others who haven't been to church know it because of the application of it in the world. It's spoken generally about, it's talked about big corporations and small corporations. It's talked about, you know, just football matches, in fact, and things like that, and rugby matches and any sport. You know, here's the, here's the Goliath, the one who's the, the victorious one sort of thing, and here's the David. Are they going to beat them or not? You know, and, and there's all this imagery that comes up. And for many people, I wonder how much they actually know what's behind the story. But I'm going to take you, first of all, back to the Scriptures and if you've got a Bible with you, I'm sorry I haven't got any overheads tonight, uh, tonight, today. Still feels like tonight to me. I was preparing this, um, doing an overhead ready for you all uh, last night. And I got my message all beautifully prepared by Friday because we had a family day yesterday. And um, I thought, I'm not going to get much time to do stuff. And I prepared it all, had it all done, only for... In the night, literally in the night, I felt the Lord say to me, you haven't got the right emphasis on this. I want you to cut this out and that out and this out. And I want you to hone in on this. I want you to change that. And you can imagine I woke up this morning thinking, oh my goodness, am I going to have enough time to do this? But yes, I did. Um, But it's interesting how you can spend a lot of time crafting your... The, the message that you feel God has given you and how at last minute he can say to you, do you know, you just got it all wrong. That's not how I want you to speak about it. It's not what I want you to emphasize. So this is hot off the press, so to speak, this morning. And, um, you know, for us as followers of Jesus, this particular story shows us It provides for us an illustration of how we can face obstacles in our lives. There is so much we can learn from this wonderful story. I don't know how many of you use... um, What's what's the app we use? Sorry? Lectio 365. Don't laugh, you. One day it'll happen to you, you know. (laughs) 
I have to, th you know, it comes along, I, I forget something, and then about 10 minutes later I get it back what it is, so I'm glad I've got a wife who's got a good memory. But Lectio 365. And yesterday it was about perseverance. And sometimes in the battles that we face in life, we need perseverance. And for us yesterday, I'm not going to say the details of it because it's very personal to Carla and I, but we've been praying and praying and praying about uh, a particular thing for many, many years. Something that's really, really uh, concerned us and is very dear to our hearts. And yesterday, we, well, in fact, it's happened over a couple of weeks, but yesterday in particular, we saw a glimmer of the answer to that prayer. And I tell you what, it made us cry. You know, it's just to see how God had kept us through that. We kept on and kept on, kept on in prayer. And God answered, is beginning to answer that, thing, that prayer. And you know, it's, it's worth it. We live in an instant age where sometimes we want something to happen now, but sometimes it's not the right time. And we've got to go through the battle, through the battle in it to be able to see the answer. But I want to take you first of all to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now David had been asking about the challenge. If you've been with us, Goliath had challenged. Uh, he was there in the middle of the, the armies used to line up by the side of a battlefield uh, facing each other. And uh, normally there was a challenge given, and Goliath, who was uh, incredibly tall, and if you were with us in previous weeks, if you weren't, listen back to some of what uh, Luke had been speaking on on our podcasts. But he had explained the weight, the height, and the, you know, and, that, and the weight of the armor, and all this sort of thing. Something very not the average Joe Blow wouldn't be able to actually, you know, wear that such stuff. And the guy was so enwrapped in all of this armor. And what makes me laugh, he had to have somebody else to carry his shield. His shield bearer was there carrying, and all his job was was to move around. When Goliath said, move to the left, move to the right, move forward. You know, that was his job, just as a protection for Goliath. But on the other hand, I don't think he had, he thought he had much to do because Goliath was just such a threat. And he put out this challenge, send me a man to come and fight for you. And uh, anyway, let's go into this scripture. We're, and uh, David, who'd been asking, his, asking people what was going on, he'd come down for the day on a joyride, so, so to speak, to bring some food and supplies for his brothers. He was there asking questions. And as Luke said last week, he even got it told off by one of his brothers. But it says that what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, the king. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, or a boy, as some translations put it. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. 
When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. You can imagine Saul going, whoa, okay, okay. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And if you've ever had a little boy in your family and you've seen him dressing up for what he thinks is a battle and he's put it on, and how everything is that too big for him. It's almost like the first day of school. Some, are, some of you have got kids who are going into school and perhaps they've, they're going into secondary school. And the tradition is you always buy the blazer that lasts them for as many years as possible and, they, and it's huge on them. And you see them there little walking into school with this massive um, bag on their back and this huge blazer which comes down be, by their knees and they look ridiculous. But you know as a parent that blazer is going to last for a long, long time. It may be parental size but it's going to last you know, and you see, it's, it's quite comical watching the children going into school for their first year in, the, in secondary. If they still wear blazers, I don't know. Um, but you just see that, that happening. So, I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, which is like a big stick, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David all over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come to at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David with his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army, carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered there here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. That's a key phrase there. The battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. 
As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead, on the forehead. The stone sank into, the, into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. The thing of every boy's dream, isn't it? You know, Incredible. Sorry to be so male-orientated with this, ladies. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he had killed him, he cut off the head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their their dead strewn along the Sharem road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. You know, it's important when we enter into battle that we know and understand who we're up against. It's good that we have an understanding of our enemy who's against us. And for us as believers, we need to know that the the battles that we face come from a source which is beyond what we're facing. And I guarantee there's probably quite a number of you in the room here who are facing challenges at the moment, things that seem like giants in your life. But I want you to take hold of this and to understand uh, where the threat is coming from and what's at stake. And sometimes the threat isn't the person maybe that you're having trouble with, it's somebody else. And it's not necessarily the threat is, um, is actually from what they're saying or what's going on. Sometimes it's the threat that we perceive and we need to get ourselves in thinking, in the right thinking of what God is saying. Now, I say that because I've fallen into that trap myself in the past where I thought that somebody has become my enemy because of the things that are going on and realizing that actually it's something in me that needed dealing with to let go of that giant that I had made something in my life. But in... um, so we, understand, we need to understand the threat, that's, where it's coming from, and what's at stake. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 to 7. That's 1 Peter 5, 8 to 7. And the, the key with making notes is to write the figures down first, because you'll remember the name more easily. Okay, so it's 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. In other words, you are not on your own, but stand firm. Stand firm. 
Be alert and a sober mind. Stand firm. Recognize that ultimately behind all of this is the enemy, Satan. Now, you may think Christians overblow Satan and make him out to be something that he isn't, but he is very real. He's there. Any of you that have been involved in any kind of in-depth work amongst people, brokenness and the things that goes on that go on, you understand there is a power at work which is far beyond what we uh, in our humanity at times think and in our Western thinking think. There is a spiritual battle going on for this world. The things that we see happening in the globe at the moment are all being inspired by someone far greater not as great as God, but it is great. It's okay. But God is greater. So be alert, whatever alert is. Be alert. Sorry, that was meant to be humorous. Be alert. Are you alert? But be alert and sober mind, and of sober mind. Know who you are and who you belong to. There's a little verse in uh, Revelation, and I just love it because it actually says about a group of people who are really under persecution and that, that they triumphed. This is Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It says, they triumphed over him, that's Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Testimony is so important. And I'll explain a bit more about that later. But resist Saul's armor. Use the skills and gifts God has given you. There have been times in my life when it's been so easy to try to be like somebody else. When I first went into ministry, you could tell the people, the young ministers, who had been influenced by certain leaders because they would sound like them, they'd walk like them, they'd dress like them, they'd preach like them. And you think, my goodness, have you not got an identity yourself in God? And it used to be quite a humorous thing. In fact, it was quite hard one time when we went into Youth of the Mission, Carla and I, uh, we were in a time of prayer, and there was a Dutch girl there, and she said, uh, oh, I can tell you've been... Uh, an Elim minister, she said, because you pray like all the Elim ministers I know. I thought, oh, Lord, help me. I was trying to be sincere, but I picked up a style that wasn't me. That's uh, an insight, isn't it? And we all have those sorts of things. Are we living our lives influenced by others rather than influenced by God? Good question to ask. Know who you belong to. Know who you are. Resist Saul's armor. David tried it on, but it just wasn't him. And he must have looked really crazy. Here he was, going into a battle with a man who was incredibly over-armor-plated and all the rest, looking incredibly fierce, and he went with just his staff, his sling, and five stones. The interesting thing is he took five stones, but he only took one. 
when it was used properly. Now, you may be wondering about slings. Um, in Judges, hang on, let's find it. In Judges, chapter. Don't you hate paper when it doesn't separate? In Judges, uh, oh, I took that bit out. But in Judges, anyway, it talks about the sons of Benjamin when they go into battle, that they had slings. And they were so powerful with these slings that when they threw them, they could actually split a hair. That was how accurate these guys were. Now, it's probably a little bit of an exaggeration. I don't know, maybe. But it, what it was doing is emphasizing how accurate slings were. And they were used as... Uh, as you know, weapons of warfare. It wasn't just something that David had. But, you know, we have to remember that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. He created us the way we are. We can look at other people. We can, you know, try to be like other people. But ultimately, we need to be who God has called us to be, who God has made us. And we're all different, thankfully. We're all different. That's what makes us a family. Families are all different. And the members of the family are all different. If you hadn't noticed, you look at your own family and you see all the differences in your own family and different temperaments and different ways. God has made us that way. And we, part of our li life joy is to actually come to terms with who we are in God, what God has made us. But the enemy's strategy, he always he likes to attack our maturity. In David's case, he would say to him, but you're a boy. And I, I think this is interesting that God, he, a few chapters before, Goliath said, give me a man. And what did God do? He gave him a boy. You know, so much of the time we can think, I am not mature enough. I'm not big enough for this. I don't know my Bible enough. I don't, you know, I'm not as clever at uh, remembering verses or things like Luke is or, or Abby. Or, you know, we can be a bit like that at times. We can put ourselves down. And he attacks our maturity. In 1 John chapter 4, John says, The one who is in you is powerful. He is more powerful than the one who is in the world. And when it talks about the one who is in the world, it's an allusion to Satan. Or the old, an older version of that verse says, Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. So remember, you don't need to be fearful about the works of Satan because he who is in you is greater, always greater than he that's in the world. He also has a go at our self-worth. And if you read that passage, you see he just went at David. You know, you're but a kid. I'm going to absolutely wipe the floor with you, you know. And so often... The enemy tries to stop us reaching our full potential. We, we hit an obstacle and we think, well, I'm not up to the mark for this. 
I can't do this thing. I can't be this, this person. God likes to take risks with us. He really does. And that's why I think uh, it's good for us, it's good for leaders to take, take risks with the people that God has given us because it's only then that they can grow and that they can become the people they're meant to be. And sometimes you will be disappointed, but more often than not, you'll be really surprised. So don't be afraid to let God stretch you. Allow God to stretch you. And God will put you into situations where you think, oh, I don't know about this, and the enemy will pick up on that, and he'll try to say, well, you're not really, are you? Remember the last time you tried this, you made a right fool of yourself. But, you know, you are good enough. If God puts you in a situation, you're good enough, you're clever enough, you're, you're not a failure, you're not too old, and you're not too young. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, um, the letter says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young in this case. Timothy was young. But take that away for a minute, the young, but put in your own thought on that. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are a woman, because you're young, because you're old, because you're whatever. You've made mistakes in the past because you're, you're not a great speaker. Well, Paul apparently wasn't a great speaker, and yet look at what he did. One of the greatest missionaries and Christian intellects in history. Don't let others or the enemy put you down. He uses fear, too, to entrap you. To Timothy, in the next letter to Timothy, verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 7 says, For the Spirit God gave, gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And Satan will often try to use fear to get us down. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't do that. I'm too big. I'm too small for that, I mean. I'm, too, I'm, not, I'm not clever enough for that. But if God puts you there, he can, he can do it. Because it's God in you that does what's necessary. The battle belongs to God, whatever you're facing. So don't let fear entrap you. David's declaration was incredible. He came in the name of God, the God of Israel, and the armies of Israel. Psalm 20 verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And that's what we stand on. Our trust in God. Whatever we're facing, whatever's going on, we hold on to the trust, our trust in God. And then David declared his intention. I'm going to strike you down and cut off your head. And of his purpose, to give glory to God in the world. Whatever God is, whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through, we must remember that ultimately the glory's got to go back to God. It's God that gives the glory. Now David, as a young man, 
he had difficulty with this as much as anybody else does when they have a victory that's so public and people begin to lift them up and glorify them and all the rest. But the battle belongs to God. The victory belongs to God. Trust in the name of God. Give glory to him. Know the intention of what God has called you to do. When you face a giant, he just doesn't want you to kill it. He wants you to strike off its head. He wants you to deal with that thing. Maybe it's sin in your life. He just doesn't want you to stop doing it. He wants you to cut off the source of it as well. Cut off the source as well. He wants you to deal with it properly. If it's a relationship that you've got with someone that... uh, you know, maybe you've had a friend you've known for years, but you know that their company is actually not good for you, and you get drawn into things that they do. You need to stop getting drawn in, but maybe too, you need it's time to back away and to move away from that relationship and say, This is not good for me. And if they ask you why, just say, I don't think we're good for each other. Just walk away from it. Let it go. That sounds harsh, but sometimes for our own sanity and and maturity and growth in God, we've got to step away from situations that actually are feeding something in us that we shouldn't be part of. But David worked within his skill set, his agility. I'll tell you what, Goliath wasn't able to run as fast as David without a, David didn't have any armor on to hold him back all he had was five stones in his bag and he and as a young shepherd boy he would have spent a lot of time just practicing with his sling now I'm old enough to remember when slings weren't banned <laughs> I was a child I had a sling myself well not quite like the one he had um, but I remember having a sling and doing target practice, you know, and that, and you just had to go all the time. You're just trying to hit that target, hit that thing, whether it was a tin can on a, on a wall or whatever it was, you, were, you just practice and practice and practice. And David didn't have much else to do as a shepherd other than looking after the sheep and caring for them. That was why he was ready when the lion and the bear came. He was ready because he'd practiced And it's good to practice. It's good to know. Good to know your Bible. Good to know the Word of God. Good to know that your prayer life is is good. It's good to know that you're you're choosing to practice your faith in every way. David practiced shooting his sling. David brought Goliath down dead with a blow to the forehead. The blow was so powerful that the stone sank into Goliath's forehead. Now, I've been hit. I'm not going to give you the details of this particular story. You can come and have it from me afterwards because it does create some amusement in some ways. Uh, But I've been hit by a hard-boiled egg traveling approximately 45 miles per per hour from a a moving car coming past me. And it hit me, I'm not going to say where, but it hit me somewhere and it was incredibly painful. There is a, a, 
an ongoing story to that as well, but I'm not going to go into that now. But it was painful. If you've ever played cricket and you've been hit by a cricket ball coming at speed, and some of these cricketers just know what they, the bowlers know what they're doing. They know how to spin the ball. They know where to bounce it. They know exactly what to do. And that, when that ball hits, you've got to be in the right place. Because if you're in the way, if you haven't got your grid on and what do they call the cage thing around the mouths and you haven't got your pads on or whatever it can do damage in fact Carla's brother has two front teeth which are false because of a cricket ball hit knocking them out if you play Cardiff baseball and you've ever been hit by a proper baseball leather baseball when it's come off a bat with speed you'll know how hard and it is you'll know what it feels like Malcolm Gladwell, who's the author of David and Goliath, uh, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. I think it's a brilliant title. Of that. Um, he says this, David's sling is a devastating weapon. It is one of the most feared weapons in the ancient world. The stone that comes from the, his sling has the stopping power equivalent to a bullet from a .45 caliber pistol. Now, I'm not into guns. I don't particularly like guns. Um, well, I don't like guns, full stop. But I know that most of the police forces and many of the armed forces use in their handguns will use a 9mm. And I, if my maths is right, I would think that a 0.45 is smaller again, but still has the effect of stopping someone dead at close range. And the power of that sling hitting his forehead, says it went into his forehead and it dropped him to the ground. That was the force of it. It was like being shot by a, a .45 caliber pistol. But David took, as he promised, it stepped further and he stepped forward and he pulled out Goliath's sword. And I imagine this young lad, because he wasn't that tall, he was only a young strip of a lad. He wasn't that tall. He, t he pulled out this sword, which from what I understand from the description earlier on, it was a really big thing and very heavy, but he pulled it out and maybe it was the weight of the thing that helped him to do it. But he swung this sword down on Goliath's neck and took his head off. He dealt with Goliath's Head. And then he held it up. So he wasn't just a conqueror, he was more than a conqueror. And you can imagine the roar that came from the, from the, the, the Israelites on their side. You can imagine the dancing and, the, and suddenly they were emboldened. David had done it, the shepherd boy had done it. If he can do it, we can do it. Reminds me of a song that we sing, if God can do it for you, he can do it. If God can do it for me, he can do it for you. And he stood there holding this head up, dripping. And there was probably blood from the neck squirting out everywhere, you know. And uh, I've just been reading a, a crime thriller about a, a pathologist and who describes this whole thing. And it's a real mess, I tell you. It would have been not a pleasant scene. And here he is holding it up in victory. And of course, what do they do? 
they get emboldened and they go chasing the Philistines. And what do the Philistines do? They think, oh my goodness, if they can do that, and he's a boy, what can the army do to us? And they go running. So he shows he is more than a conqueror. Romans 8 verse 37 says, we are more than conquerors in Christ who loved us. We are more than conquerors. So you see, when we face these things that we think are big battles, when we face these giants that we think, I'm never going to be able to cope with this, you're already more than a conqueror in God. You have the Lord of hosts. You have the heavenly God and all his armies at your disposal. He's there for you. So you don't need to hang your head and think, I can't do this. You've got a lot, of, a lot on your side. More than you can see and more than you can imagine. But you notice the two things that David does. Remember earlier on I talked about testimony. Two things he does. He takes the head and he takes it to the capital city and he hangs it or whatever he does there. Perhaps he puts it on a stake or whatever, but he takes it there so everybody can see the victory that's been won. And you know, public testimony, when God does something in your life and gives you an answer, when God sets you free from something, when God answers a prayer or whatever, tell somebody, make it public. Don't be afraid to tell your testimony. Give your story to give God glory. Gosh, I didn't realize I could alliterate like that. But tell your story to give God glory. Don't be afraid. Don't think, oh, I'll keep that to myself. Because it needs to be given so that others can be encouraged. And he kept two trophies. He kept the, uh, what was it? It says he kept his, he, well, it just says his weapons. He kept the Philistines' weapons, Goliath's weapons, and he took them into his own tent. Now, why do you think he did that? I think he did it because on his days when he felt that he was low, when he felt, I can't do this, he would look at those weapons and think, but I did do it with God's help, and it would encourage him. I've got a drawer at home that actually these days I don't need to look at very often, but in that drawer I've got letters, I've got prophecies about me, I've got scriptures, I've got all sorts of things that remind me of when God has blessed my life. Things I've written down. Answers to prayer and things like that. And they're the weapons that I have taken and stored in my tent, so to speak, to remind me of what God has done. Call it a boasting file. Call it a boasting wall if you pin them up on a wall to look at them regularly. But when you have had your victories, make sure you record them in some way. Put them somewhere. So when you have those days when you're feeling down, those days when you don't feel you've got it, you can go back to those and you can think, yes, I have, because God is in it. God was in it. So what can we learn from this story? What is it that God wants to teach us personally? 
never be intimidated by the giants in your life. Never be intimidated by the giants in your life. Whatever they might be, could be sin, could be challenging circumstances, could be broken relationships, difficult people, lack of finance, illness, lack of resources for just a few things. There's probably plenty more. Remember who's on your side. Remember who you belong to. Nothing is impossible with God. Matthew 19 verses, verse 26 said, says, With God all things are possible. So I want you today, I want us today, to go out of this place knowing that we can walk tall because what God has done for us, what he's going to do for us, because we belong to him and nothing is impossible with God. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing is impossible with God. And if you don't know him, if you're not yet in that place that you could be with him, Jesus has already won the battle. He died on the cross for you. He loves you. He wants you to be his. He wants you to be in a relationship with him daily. He gave of his very blood, his very life. The king of eternity became our sacrifice to give us freedom. And if you don't know that, you've never experienced yet that, and you want that to apply to your life, just come and ask one of us to pray with you. Because it's all it means is saying, Lord, I give myself to you. I surrender who I am. And I ask you to take me, take me into your family. I want to become one of yours so that I can stand against the giants that I face in life. That I can stand tall knowing that I've got somebody on my side. Knowing that I'm a child of God. Knowing that that can't be taken from you because nothing is impossible with God. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about us, visit our website, capcitycardiff.org.uk.